scene with Jim Norton and uh, Louis C.K. and all those guys. Ari. Yeah, Ari. Yeah. DJ. Is Jim Norton still yeah, relevant? He's, he's out and around, yeah. Is he? Yeah. Okay. He's skinny right now. Still no talks way. about how he has a hard time fucking girls because he's a weirdo and all that. <laughs> he loves trannies. Loves transgender. He does. That's his prefer. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but... Uh, Good after. Do you, was that on a Die Hard movie or Lethal Weapon where they... They, like, tie the guy up, and he has, like, a little balancing thing on, and if he turns either way, it detonates the bomb. Do you remember that movie? That sounds like some Saw kind of shit. No, it was an action movie for sure. Well, who's to say Saw isn't in some aspect an action movie? Did they put him on, like, a Nintendo balance board for the original Nintendo? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it might have been the first generation of it. Do you remember the rocker? The Nintendo rocker? Not rocker. Okay, uh, so you could play like Skate or Die. Do you remember the game yep, Skate or Die? Yep, yep, yep. So they had a rocker that you like plugged your Nintendo controller into and then plugged that into the Nintendo, and then you could like rock back and forth, and that would be your D pad, right? And you could also play Mario that way by like <laughs> standing to one side and all that. It was garbage. It was real garbage. But that just shows you Nintendo's been doing that shit forever. The, uh,. I remember the Tony Hawk one. Oh, yeah. They had the skateboard. Is that kind of... That was the purpose of said rocker, right? Exa- yeah, pretty much. Was the... Uh, okay, to simulate skateboarding. Man, I don't even remember the Tony Hawk one. Oh, yeah, when that one bad. came out, it was just fat dudes falling <laughs> all over the place. Yeah, it wasn't... I think that was like the last push... To try to get a Tony Hawk game out there that people would play. Yeah, yeah probably like Tony Hawk Underground 7 or something. Yeah. It bombed pretty hard. But I know the little Wayne one did, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm he just uh, stoked that they're remaking Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. Yeah, that's, that's already done, isn't it? No, they're releasing the original and the number 2 as like a remastered version oh. or whatever. Yeah, I thought awesome. it wasn't until like... September that they're getting released or well, something. That's, yeah. that's, it's worth playing. That's a fun fucking game. And you know what else is fun? Jet Set Radio. You ever played Jet Set Radio? Yeah. Oh briefly. my god, that's a fun that's game. I Dreamcast. Think so. Dreamcast, Dreamcast indeed, one. yeah. I think I played it for about 10 minutes and was completely confused mm-hmm. on what to do and said, fuck this. I was Advances, same thing. He just got this new emulator for his Dreamcast so he can play every game on it. <laughs> it's fucking great. I mean, was the point of the game to, like, tag the subway cars or some shit? It was like the Warriors, <laughs> including there's, like, a, a a DJ who's got dreads and stuff. He's like, listen, you gotta you gotta tag the city, but watch out for the Rockettes. They're gonna fuck you up. And that's, like, the gang that <laughs> you gotta get all the way to. back to Coney. That's right. that's right. No, they had a Warriors game. They did. Rockstar made it. Was it? I, I remember really liking that game. I would like to go back and give that a look, actually. Yeah. The only Warriors game I like is Dynasty Warriors. Yeah, me too. Dynasty it Warriors was just murder and murder and murder. Oh, it's one of my they favorites. Love that. They love that, man. Mm. What are you, those called? Tensu games? Uh, yeah, I think something like that. The, uh, um, the Did you guys like Animusha? Yeah. The I, I saw they did like a HD update for but everyone yeah. says it sucks oh really yeah that was a that was a capcom right yeah, yeah. that was my first ps2 game beautiful beautiful love that game man. yeah and now looking back you're like oof, these graphics man not not great <laughs> oh that's ps2 for you <laughs> man i think my first ps2 game was whatever the first nba 2k game was on it 
I could see that. You would. Actually, that, that wasn't even 2K, was it? Was it 99? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I assume they started 2K. NBA Live ruled the roost for a while, then now 2K has been the Yeah, it would like have been NBA years. Live, like, okay. 98 or 99, whatever year it came out. But that's not to say that 2K wasn't making those games back then either. I know that the NBA had two licenses for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember what the other one was. It died off, right? Yeah, or, it was NBA Live, EA Sports. Oh, is that the one yeah. that died off? Mm. Okay. They just suck so bad that... <laughs> It wasn't even worth making anymore. Was, was there? Do you remember? Because I, I, one of my friends had a Dreamcast, and we always used to play because it, it was cool at the time, right? Definitely. And they had, did they have like a Silent Hill game that was only for the Dreamcast at that point? I'm I re- going to. I I'm remember go- my friend playing a game like Silent Hill. I'm going to have to talk to Vance okay. and get back to you. Okay. But we will get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, hello, welcome to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. Nice, bro. My name is Adam. <laughs> Sitting across from me, the first time I've seen him in months. His name All is <laughs> in one month. <laughs> He's got the Jax Teller haircut going on. He's right got now. the Jay Teller haircut mm-hmm. going on. He's looking f- uh, like a fucking father already. Jordan, welcome Oliver's father, Jordan. <laughs> Woo! Hello. Hey, buddy. Hello. How, How is uh, the fatherhood? It's uh, fucking awesome. Simple as that. Yeah? I'm really shocked you're not tired right now. I am exhausted. <laughs> well, you're not showing. Like, usually you'd fall asleep in your chair by now. Well, wait uh, until I get a little bit into the story. <laughs> Over the last month, I have learned to operate on, like, three hours of sleep. Okay. Like, going to work on, Ugh. I think it was, like, two weeks ago or something, on a Monday, I went to work on 45 minutes of sleep. Oh, boy. Like. We, well, you knew that was coming. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so, like, my body's starting to, like, figure out, like, okay. You're not going to get a lot of sleep, or you're going to technically get a lot, but it's going to be very broken up. Like, here's an hour and a half, you're up for 20 minutes, here's 30 (laughs) minutes, you're up for five, that kind of thing. I mean, that, you know, that's kind of the pattern I've heard from all parents. New parents? Yeah, Yeah, because, I mean, you know, he's a month old, and, you know, he doesn't have a sleep schedule. It's just, he's like, oh, I'm tired. That motherfucker. Oh, I'm awake and hungry. (laughs) Look. I kind of live my life with that motto, too. That's so. a good way to be. Yeah, I just start screaming <laughs> until someone gets me food. Uh, is he is he good baby? Is he, he sleep through the night? Is he oh, a crier? No, he like, doesn't sleep through the night. He does? Because he doesn't have a sleep schedule. Yeah. I mean, like, 70% of the time, I would call him, like, a good sleep schedule okay. for the most part. Like, he's going to wake up in the night, and then, you know, me or Amy will get up and take care of him. Like, on the weekends, I always get up because, you know... She's on maternity leave right now, so, like, during the week, you know, sometimes I'll get up, but she'll usually tell me, like, go back to sleep, I got it. Damn, hell yeah. This is I have to go, go to work in the morning and whatnot, but... So you get up and breastfeed him, yeah. and then she yeah, breastfeeds exactly. him later. <laughs> he slips him <laughs> a hairy nipple. <laughs> we should be so thankful that men cannot produce... I mean, maybe you can eventually. But I just wish we didn't have nipples then. Uh, yeah. Yes, they're dumb. What are the purpose of nipples? We well, need to figure that if out. If you look at pussy-wussies, right? Okay. Vaginas, Vaginas. and vulvas. Yes. 
All it is, like, <laughs> the seam in our nutsack is just, like, not pussy lips. That's all, I mean, we're all just what? the yeah. same thing. No, like, the reason men have nipples is because they're developed before the sexual organs. Yeah. Because our nut seam is just like what the, the, the lips are, basically. Mm, okay. And our dick is just a big old clit. <laughs> He's not wrong. I Technically, yeah. <laughs> I guess you're right. We got Dr. Adam on the show that's, today. That's old Dr. AP right here. <laughs> Just look at your dick like a big clit. That's, that's all you got to do. This is a big old clit down there. You should. Have you ever considered teaching a sexual education no, class? No. I've never considered should. that. I think I would do time to, in a federal pen. For to be that. honest, you we would probably learn, I would have learned more from you teaching it than I did in Catholic school, to be fair. Yeah. Yes, well, anything would be better than <laughs> what they taught you. I could just see the Catholic school, they're putting up, like, pictures of uh, genitalia, and it's just, like, blurred out, and oh. they're pointing at it, like, <laughs> oh, we yeah. can't show you what it is, You went but to a Japanese school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how do they teach sex ed in Japan? Well, here's this tentacle. It looks like a penis. <laughs> oh, what if they had, like, a... He- like a hentai sex education course. Oh, oh, I'm sure it exists on the dark web. <laughs> Probably somewhere. Sounds uh, like some 4chan kind of shit. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back, everybody. Cody, you're also here. I didn't I introduce am. you at all. That's okay. But fuck it. We're going to go right into the story, though. Please do. First, we'll acknowledge the source of this episode, and that is A Daughter's Deadly Deception, the Jennifer Pan story written by Jeremy Grimaldi. Now, this big book came out in 2016. Okay. Jeremy Grimaldi is a Canadian writer, okay, journalist, mm. musician. Musician, too. Mm. Multifaceted. Really, Jack of all trades. Really a good book. Really, really? a fun book. He, yeah? I mean, you know, fun. I say fun because guess what? Books should be entertaining, right? <laughs> Even when they're about disgusting something. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Nothing worse than a dredge of a book. So thank you, Gr- Jeremy Grimaldi. Thank you for writing this, for gathering all those court documents, all <laughs> that stuff. You're a you're a Beast. There's pictures in there too. It's great. Really good stuff. Love the pictures. Daughter's Deadly Deception. You can get it on Google. $9.99. Let's go. Let's go. York Regional Constable Mason Baines was patrolling the peaceful streets of Markham, Ontario when a gun call came over the radio. Crossing the mile and quarter distance from his location to the call in under two minutes, Baines was the first to arrive at 240 Helen Avenue. When he dove out of his police cruiser, he saw two men sitting in the driveway. One of them covered head to toe in blood and screaming about pain in his face. Oh, I mean, a mile and a quarter in under two minutes, that just means he was doing like 40 miles an hour. (laughs) Maybe. On a residential street. He's not hitting the accelerator. (laughs) He's like, I'll get there when I get there, but we'll give a little bit of hustle. I, I just want everybody to put this image in their head like I am currently. So Bane is a giant cow man from World of Warcraft. Okay. So now I keep envisioning a large cow beast stepping out of a police car. I'm just envisioning Tom Hardy. Oh, (laughs) two hulking men. Yes. And where were you 20 minutes ago, sir? (laughs) How would that be? He doesn't have an I in his name, though. No, he doesn't. Well, it sounds the same, Cody. Guess what? The audience doesn't know that either. (laughs) Bleep that out. (laughs) Not happening. In broken English, the hurt Asian man is able to convey to Constable Baines that armed men have robbed their home, shot him, killed his wife, and his daughter is still in the home, in completely unknown condition. At this time, Baines hugs the street-facing wall of the house and prepares to enter the front door, gun drawn. Mike Stesco and his rookie partner Brian Derrick are next on the scene, 
immediately assisting in the clearing of the house. I hope they sent the rookie in first. <laughs> you first, boy. Hunt him up. Following a blood trail from the front door, Baines calls out, trying to pinpoint the panicked female cries that he's hearing. I'm upstairs. I'm okay. There's something wrong with my mother. She's in the basement and has been shot. Baines clears the ground floor, room by room, noticing the eerie silence. And later, Mike Stesco would have this to say in his notes. <clears throat> Everything in the house seemed where it should be. Obviously, we've done home invasions in the past, where the place has been completely ransacked and torn apart. But here, nothing nothing was taken, it seemed. Very when, strange. Yeah, it's not, it's not the normal. They mm. said the place looked pristine. Really? Yeah. Perfect condition, okay. Like, as if the Asian mother had just been vacuuming and mopping and all the stereotypical stuff can they you, say they do. Can you imagine a police officer goes into a house, there's someone dead on the floor, and there's just someone in the house vacuuming and sweeping up the place? Oof. Might be a little awkward. Might be. Might <laughs> be a 19, language barrier or 19, something. <laughs> You're vacuuming up evidence. Stop it, please. Like, you got the 19, you got the 1950s, 60s, uh, 50s and 60s wife high on meth cleaning her house, you know, like With a her crazy husband It always reminds open. me of cotton because mm -hmm. we talked about the uh, legal methamphetamine they would give everybody yep. that yeah. <laughs> oh, clean so their awesome. house. Yeah. Don't forget, they still do that today. They just call True. it amphetamine salt. Now they give it to young children. That's right. <laughs> When the three officers got down to the basement, they discovered a truly nightmarish scene. The body of Bik Han Pan was lying face down in front of a sectional sofa in a pool of blood. Once again, thanks to Stesco's notes, There was a lot of dark, thick-colored blood. It wasn't like the trail we followed down. It was thicker and by her head, which had a blue towel over it. Okay, interesting. So there's two different blood trails. Mm -hmm. Okay, that seems suspicious. Baines knew there was no point, but he checked her pulse anyway, which is when he noticed the source of all this blood. Two gunshots to her neck and back. Stesco tells the rookie to go upstairs and secure the female victim. When he calls out to her, she responds in a voice shaking with fear that she isn't sure all the intruders are gone. Derek raised his pistol and cautiously cleared the top floor alone. Only the master bedroom was in shambles. The mattress was flipped, the closets emptied, and drawers lay ripped out and broken across the area. Every other room was spotless. Satisfied that the upstairs was clear, Derek returned to the girl who fearfully introduced herself as Jennifer. The rookie officer noticed that Jennifer was sitting in almost the same position as the famous Little Mermaid statue <laughs> in Copenhagen. If you look that up, it's actually a pretty fucking good indication. Is it like, kind of you like resting on your elbow? No. You're like it's sprawled like, out? No, it's like your ankles are beside you as if you had like a flipper. Okay. And you're like sitting on the beach like that with your okay. hands in front of you. Okay. Like the, no, I was going to say the copper tone girl, but I don't, she's no, the one with the underwear being pulled yes. down by that pedophile dog. That's all that's happening yeah, there. Okay. She's about to get <laughs> batted, bad touched. Right, so the statue, she was ankles beside her, and her bound wrists were able to move about eight inches away from the banister, which is pretty fucking pretty far, far. if you're going to tie somebody up. Mm -hmm. Derek got a pair of scissors from Jennifer's room and cut the shoelace that was binding her tiny wrists, on which he also noticed no redness or bruising at all. So we either have foul play or... 
the guy or girl, whoever tied her up, is very bad at it. Right, and <laughs> she made no attempt to get out of a shoelace. So. You get, you have redness on your arm if you sleep funny. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. If you if you accidentally sit on a charging cord for too long, yeah. you're, it looks like somebody <laughs> stabbed you in the butt. Yep. Han Pan, the man that was bleeding on the sidewalk when Officer Baines showed up, okay, was loaded into an ambulance and rushed to the hospital. Jennifer was guided to her own ambulance. Although there was no obvious bruising or blood, Derek wanted her to go to the hospital be checked over for signs of sexual assault. Upon reaching the hospital, Jennifer officially learns her mother has been killed and her father was rushed from the ambulance to the operating room where doctors would work furiously and tirelessly to save his life. Jennifer reached out for grief counseling while she was awaiting her sexual assault exam and they gave her a pretty hefty dose of Xanax to get her through the night. At 1.31 a.m. on November 9th, Jennifer Pan is released from the hospital into the care of Officer Derek, and as part of the murder investigation, her Samsung phone was seized. Hmm. How's she going to uh, uh, do Instagram updates, then? Right, and this is 2010, <laughs> by the way, I should say. Okay. This takes place in 2010. Uh, was Instagram out by then? Mm, I don't, th- maybe not for another year. I was just going to say, because I, I yeah, learned I recently that Snapchat didn't start to 2012. Isn't that insane? Yeah. And it feels like that's been a part of our lives for... <laughs> Forever. But still, that is eight years ago now. Jesus. Remember when we used to use uh, Snapchat? That was uh, fun. It was yeah. fun. We my, just looked at porno stars, mostly. <laughs> I My favorite ever uh, Snapchat moment was when... I put it on my stories, and I made it seem like I was sending Jordan a private message. Yeah. And I said, look, Jordan, you had a gay dream. There's nothing wrong with it. It's completely natural and normal. And and Heather reached out to me and was like, I think you meant to send that in a private message. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. We call that. <laughs> Four hours after the double murder attempt on her parents, at 2.45 a.m., Pan is led down a long hallway into an interrogation room to be questioned by veteran detective Randy Slade of the homicide unit. Slade gently explained to the newly motherless and possibly soon-to-be fatherless young woman that the form she was signing was simply a guarantee that she would tell the truth. This wasn't to be an accusatory interview. I I do think only in Canada they do that. I, like... They have different ways of handling witnesses than they, uh-huh. than they do in America. And I think this, I've heard this before. They give them like this form, mm-hmm. not saying you're arrested or anything, but just. You're giving us information and you are going to tell the truth about yes. it. Yes. And, and if you don't, then they can take what you've signed and then bring it back against you. That's what it was. Yep. Yep. So, okay. And they use something called the Reed method, which I can get into in the finale next week. Ooh. Yeah. Hot, hot maple syrup up the nose unless you don't tell the truth. They fill them up like a jar of syrup. Maple syrup boarding. <laughs> On the other hand, the sly detective also laid out the penalties for dishonesty during this video statement, including up to 14 years in prison. At the mention of this, the girl became physically shaken, rubbing her legs before placing a trembling hand over her heart. Then Slade brought in a Bible. She swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help her God. And after a quick silence, she blurted out, As much as I can remember! (laughs) (laughs) Here's my question. Does it always have to be the Bible, or are you allowed to do... It's whatever holy book text you... I think it's like any book you want, because I don't think atheists give a shit, right? (laughs) I mean, no. 
I, I don't know. What would they use? I I mean... I don't know. What if you were a Scientologist? Like, do they have a book? Dianetics. Would that be amazing? So, I think I talked about this recently, that if you want a free Mormon Bible, they'll give it to you, but you you ha- they come to your house and hand deliver it, and awesome. then you have to, like, go through the thing. Imagine if you requested that at a police station during an interrogation, <laughs> they came in there and were trying to convert all the police officers that were interrogating you. To the point where they just yeah. let you go. Yeah. Like, take like, these look, Mormon freaks and get the fuck we, out. We can't get this goddamn book. <laughs> just get out of here, all right? Slade begins the interview slash interrogation by first asking who could want to hurt a woman like her mother. At the mention of Bic Han Pan, Jennifer broke down uncontrollably, becoming incomprehensible except when she was able to squeak out her mother's name. This is when Detective Al Cook, looking on from the observation room, noticed something troubling. When Jennifer brought her Kleenex up to her face to wipe away tears, it came down dry. There were never any tears. They didn't bring any attention to it at the time, but they would file it away in their memories for later. A little suspicious. When Jennifer became comprehensible again, Slade tried to get the suspect's physical description from her. According to her, the main one was black with a medium build and dreads, flopped over his face so she couldn't make out his features. She began to describe a goatee he possibly had, but then clammed up using her soon-to-be textbook catchphrase. I don't want to say something wrong. I mean, if you're being arrested, you don't want to say something wrong. But she's not being arrested. Well, she's just giving her statement of what happened that <laughs> she night. She might not know that. I know. And she's <laughs> definitely involved, you know what I mean? When you got a room full of Mounties and their horses, I mean, <laughs> you're going to be preaching to the choir here. They bring the horses into the interrogation <laughs> yeah. room? They're just shitting in the corner. <laughs> so like, Confessor, we're going to be drowning in horse shit here in a minute. <laughs> Either you confess or we all go down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either way, she would refer to the dreadlocked man as number one, and he carried a handgun, wore black leather gloves, and sounded as if he were born in Canada. Mm. Her description of him was contradictory and vague. She told Slade he had a roundish, squarish face. Those two things don't make any sense together, do they? I mean, it kind of looks like Ted Danson, right? <laughs> Ted Danson has a lo- round Very square. square jaw with big cheeks. Well, he's okay. got a square, or no, he's got a round bottom and a square top. I guess like he does. Frankenstein. No, Ted Danson has a square fucking jaw. Does he? Oh, yeah. He's got a strong chin on him. Maybe I Woody Harrelson. Forehead. I'm so disappointed with Woody Harrelson right now. What did he do to I don't want to, I don't know if I even want to talk about it. He is a 5G-created coronavirus guy. God damn it, Woody. Damn it, Woody. Stop it. He's always been a little nutty. Yeah, but I liked him more than anybody. You gotta stop that, man. She described number two as running back and forth between the other two assailants. He remained completely silent, only receiving orders and following them. He had a long, oval face and a bandana covering his nose and mouth. Hmm. She stated she didn't get a good look at number three, who was holding her parents at gunpoint, but she was sure he had a Caribbean accent. Okay, I, it's interesting she could pinpoint a uh, Caribbean accent. Do you know what's weird, actually? <laughs> it, and I shouldn't say weird, just uh, interesting, is that in Canada, especially right in that region there, for some reason, a lot of uh, like Haitians really? and other Caribbean islanders made their way up there and just live in Canada now. Huh. Quite a change in climate. I wonder if it was maybe <laughs> to escape slavery or something. Um, I sh- yeah, it could be because they were occupied by the French, right? Yeah. So 
Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't Get know. Get away from the like the slave holding area that was the Caribbean islands. You think they'd want to go back though? Jordan, I might have to dip out. Okay. Apparently, Ollie's just being insane. Psh, we welcome you back from that <laughs> interruption. Ollie is being a little puke, so yeah, Jordan I, had to bail. It's he, down to a two-man show. He again. he's apparently not a big fan of Bumblebee podcast yet. Yeah, we'll get him there. I think it's because we didn't make him a onesie, <laughs> probably. So when we left off, we learned that she didn't get a lo- good look at number three, mm. and uh, she was sure he had a Caribbean accent. Okay, all right. She might be a little racist. I don't know. <sighs> she definitely did name <laughs> two black people for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> and fucking Parrot Joe here. And Dreadlocks. Yeah. And Parrot Joe, yeah. What's the, uh, what's, is it a rum? Caribbean? Yeah. What's the, is, I can imagine it's like a clear with like a light blueness to it, the bottle. Parrot. Bombay? Mm, no. No, I that's think Parrot something. Parrot Bay? Maybe Parrot Rum or, I don't know. There's Captain Maybe. Morgan's, <laughs> there's Bacardi's, there's. It, <sighs> I could just picture it has like the parrot on it. And like a little, he's sitting on a little island. I don't think parrots actually drink rum, but Fruit Loops. <laughs> this is Toucan Sam yeah. when he had a drinking problem. That's what it is. <laughs> he had to get out of the booze business, yeah. go to the cereal business. <laughs> Slade asked her to describe the day leading up to the invasion and murder of her mother. Jennifer said the day started strange, with the entire neighborhood on lockdown as the street was cordoned off for a gas leak. Once it was fixed, things got right back to normal. Bick went and ran her errands. Jennifer was practicing piano. Han had lunch before running off to hide in his study and read the Vietnamese news, as was his ritual. Okay. Jennifer's brother Felix was in Hamilton, attending college, studying engineering. Mm, smart boy. Jennifer's life was very, very routine. Mm, I mean, aren't, aren't, isn't all of our lives routine, to be frank? As we'll find out, <laughs> Jennifer's life was a little more routine than... Uh, most of normal? us. Okay, mm. all right. After dinner, Jennifer's friend Adrian Timkowitz came over, and the duo went down to the basement to watch How I Met Your Mother and Gossip Girl on the sectional under the blankets. Okay, I like one of these shows, and I don't trust this guy already because he has one vowel in his name. Timkowitz? Yeah, that's yeah. too many I, consonants. Come on, dude. I assume he's Russian or Polish. something. That's, Polish. Oh, yeah. That's okay. fucking T-Y-M-K-E-W-Y-C-Z. Okay. <laughs> There's only one vowel. You need more than that. Yeah. And I don't believe in the sometimes Y vowel structure. <laughs> I think vowels are A, E, I, O, and U. Right. Get out of your tie. Get out of your tie. <laughs> Once those two shows ended, Adrian left and Jennifer went up to her room to watch The Amazing Race and talk on the phone to her other friend, Edward Pacificador. Hell yeah. So he got friend-zoned, clearly. Adrian? Yeah. Yeah, or she's just balling both of them, maybe. It could be. At 9.30 p.m., Jennifer heard her mother return home from her weekly Monday night line dancing class. Then she heard her mother yell up the stairs for Han. It wasn't the tone of voice that scared Jennifer. It was the language. She used English, which she barely even spoke. Her first choice would be Cantonese, her native tongue, and her second choice would be Vietnamese. Jennifer promptly hung up the phone and sat in petrified silence. When she finally mustered up the courage to look down the darkened hallway from her room, she saw number one coming towards her with a string in his hands. He grabbed her and tied her hands, saying, I have a gun to your back. If you do, if you do what I say, no one will get hurt. Show me where the money is. Jennifer obliged, showing them where she was keeping $2,000 in cash that she was saving up to buy the new iPhone with. 
They were not that expensive. Off contract, absolutely. Two grand in 2010? I think so. I could be very wrong. But I I think I was working at Best Buy at this time, like when they very first came out, and I it was with the contract, I think they were three hundred dollars. I think Wow. Maybe. I can't remember. I remember there was a time where phones crossed over like being more expensive off contract if you buy them outright than a high end gaming PC. (laughs) And I was like, Whoa, I could build a PC for so much cheaper than that. Uh now it's far surpassed that i think oh yeah i think we're well beyond (laughs) yeah they pushed her into her parents room and began tearing it apart asking her where her parents kept their money then they brought in bick who couldn't understand what the intruders were saying and kept trying to get up they repeatedly pushed her back to the floor and then ordered her to kneel in the corner and look at the floor when no money was found they brought the family back downstairs to the living room finally han realized what the intruders were after and told them in broken english to check his wallet and his pants and the group once again went back upstairs to retrieve the money on this trip up the stairs when number one told number two to go get a string from cuzzy who will assume is number three and that's when number one tied jennifer to the banister okay all right the next thing she remembers is her parents being forced down into the basement and the men screaming You lied to us. You lied. Then she heard two pops. Silence. Then screaming. Then three more pops. Then she heard one of the men say, We've been here too long. We have to go now. And they booked it out the front door. Okay. So I'm, from her story, they're experienced robbers. Mm. I'm air quoting her experienced robbers. I like it. I like that you're doing that. So I'm confused. Did she actually give them the $2,000? Yes. She did. Okay. They got that, but they want more. Exactly. Getting a little too greedy. They're here. assuming the parents have have more have cash hidden around the house somewhere. Okay. Which right. is uh, crazy because the reason that Han moved his family to this house was because the place they lived before was subject to home invasion, and he stopped keeping large quantities of money in the house. Okay. Very smart, Han. Well, I bet he wishes <laughs> he would have had some money. Once Jennifer was done with her first recounting of the story, Detective Slade was intent on making her tell the whole thing again to look for inconsistencies, and to interject with his own detective methods. We're going to go back clinically. Put yourself now as a figure looking down on what you saw. I mean, this is standard practice, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. They, you know, make sure you're not lying, but I have a feeling Jennifer's gonna fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, All right, I'm Tim, Tim Allen. <laughs> Tim the tool that, man. Can you imagine getting interrogated by Tim <laughs> Allen? <laughs> you tell him the story, he's like, <laughs> Tim, stop it, dude. Go home and take care of your kids. Seriously, JTT's going nuts over there. Can you imagine him doing a line of blow and he's just like, <laughs> oh. oh, God, his face when he's in a coke binge. Do you think he got tuned up before Tim the tool man? Or do you think he was, did he start doing blow after? I, I would Man? say after. Yeah. He seems pretty normal in Home Improvement. Yeah, he seems uh, all right. In Santa Claus, I think maybe <laughs> that might have coincided with his booze because yeah. he's getting, he gets puffier and maybe that's not all cosmetic. <laughs> he's got a red face. They didn't even put makeup on him. No. He's got he cheery just, red cheeks all on his own. They just gave him some schneef. <laughs> said, put this up your nose, buddy. <laughs> we got some real snow for you here, Tim. <laughs> Jennifer remained composed and collected during the second telling of her story, but there were major differences that the investigators definitely picked up on. One of them 
was when her mother returned home from dance class. In the first telling, she says she knew her mom got home because she heard her rummaging around. In the second telling, Jennifer says she went to the top of the stairs to greet her. Okay, it's a pretty big change there. Another inconsistency. In the first telling, number one was coming at her with a string. In the second telling, he was flashing his pistol that was in his holster, telling her to comply. This time, she said they took $2,500 from her instead of the 2000 she initially claimed. After that, the story is pretty much the same. Led to the basement, gunshots, screaming, gunshots. We've been here too long. Out the front door. A few minutes later, when Jennifer was able to get her phone out of her pocket and call the police, she recalls hearing her father moaning and groaning as he ran out the front door. That's the blood trail that they mm. followed down. Mm -hmm. She was yelling for him, but he didn't come in. It was this detail that stuck in Detective Bill Curtis's craw. A father wouldn't bolt from a house if he knew his daughter was still inside, no matter how many times he'd been shot. But, at this early stage of the investigation, the detectives were forced to take her comments at face value. I mean, does he really know that? How do you know how someone's going to react when they've been shot? Really? I like, wish Jordan was fucking here for this. I mean, yeah. I, wait, he's been shot? No, but he's got a, He's the only one of us that has oh, a child. Well, he's going to say the right thing, obviously. Yeah, because he's got a little he's child. He's going to say he's going to rip off his shirt. His big Druid logo is going to be on his other shirt. He's going to fight off the criminals. Mm -hmm. His bolts will deflect off mm -hmm. him. And off his eyeballs, I, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't... In the state of panic when you're dying and bleeding out being shot, who knows what you're going to do, really? Sure. I, mean, I suppose there's always the uh, fight or flight. And sometimes you're going to flight, I guess. I guess I, when I heard it the first time, I didn't assume he was running away. I assumed he was going outside to try to get the attention of a neighbor right. to then help them. Which you know he eventually mean? did get the attention of a neighbor, so hey. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't like that detective's thought process necessarily. I like it. But, right. uh, yeah. uh, no, I like that you don't like yes, it, is what yes, I like. Yes, yes, uh, But yes, I love your last sentence there. They took it at face value. Very Canadian. V pretty Canadian. You gotta trust them. Yeah. You gotta trust them. It's like, ah, you gotta give her a reason not to trust him. <laughs> I could just see him looking at his horseman. What do you think, Smokey? <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, you always say you want more carrots, yeah. Smokey. <laughs> <laughs> if he eats the carrot, you're fine. If he eats the apple, you gotta stay here a little longer. You're fucked. <laughs> yeah. Jennifer became agitated again when she learned her younger brother Felix was being interviewed in the next room. Instead of asking how he's holding up or asking to see him, she seemed put off and annoyed that they would go and get him from college for this. Is it weird? Where's all the second pictures Felix interviewing Saint? the cat? Felix the cat. There's a black and white cat in there. Look, I know you don't talk, but you're going to tell us what happened in that fucking house. Do you, did you, you know, that was a weird, uh, terrible porky pig thing that I just did. You know that locksmith that it's called like Cat's Keys on 7th Street in St. Paul? Okay. That yeah, has yeah. like the Felix the cat oh, ripped yeah, off yeah, on yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. That is Felix the cat, right? They yeah. just kind of ripped it off. I, I, yeah, I think so. Is that there anymore? I don't know. I just remember it. I know that fucking Herb Brooks banner is still there from <laughs> 30 years ago. Really? Ratty old Herb Brooks banner. I, I remember uh, I went to a concert at first half a long time ago, and in between bands, they would play Felix the Cat cartoons. Not sure why. They what just... kind of concert was this? Like an ecstasy rave? <laughs> Well, it uh, it was one of Jack White's bands. Okay, so kind of an ecstasy rave. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty rad watching him like 
play all the different instruments. God, what but... was the one, not the White Stripes, obviously, but what was the one he did after? I remember the record was super cool because it it's was... a special color. Is Ghost Ship or something that like sounds Ship right. something. I didn't mind the music actually. Yeah, Jack but, White's uh, a genius. Yeah, he's he's very he he's a preposterous <laughs> I, weirdo. But... I was gonna say when I saw him on uh the Anthony Bourdain show mm-hmm. and he has that house in Tennessee where he like it's the only place you can record straight from recording into a vinyl record. He has like this machine because he thinks that's the only way he can get music to sound good. Very strange. Pretentious fucking yeah, asshole. Like... You pompous son of a gun. <laughs> you Just be a genius. It's like Kanye, too. It's like, just be a genius. Well, Don't... he's crossed the barrier from genius to crazy person. I know. So. But he's still good at being mm. a genius is the problem. He's still making great shit. Has he released a new album recently? Oh, I don't give a fuck about <laughs> I mean, like, he, he makes good music, but the shit that he produces for other rappers is... Oh, is that his oh, big thing now? It's always been his big, 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 big thing. Well, you know, music producers do have a history of being a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah. a little bit doped up on cocaine, yeah, on some yeah. schneef. Listen to the uh, Marcus Parks show, the... Uh... No dogs, last dogs in, space. in space. Yep. Yeah. Uh, last dogs in space. No dogs in space. All the uh, producers helping those bands—they're all fucking insane. It's the way to be. Yeah, I guess. Fuck yeah, that's the way to be. <laughs> those were the glory days. Now, when Slade left the room to talk strategy with the other cops in the observation room, they saw her start to do some really odd stuff on camera. She started by sliding her hands from her temple to her forehead over and over. Then she stood up and grabbed her stomach looked as if she was about to pass out, steadied herself on the wall and paced around the room, never taking her hand off the wall. Eventually, she rested her forehead on the wall and stood there until Slade came back 20 minutes later. You know exactly who this sounds like. Who? Jody, uh, I can never say her last name, Arias. Foster. Jody. Jody Aries. Arias. You don't remember her? She uh, uh, killed her ex-boyfriend. She did, like, handstands and shit in the interrogation room. No, I do you not don't know this. her? No. Okay, maybe we'll have to cover her. Okay, Very good. famous, good. very famous. She's very crazy. Awesome. Detective Slade began this line of questioning by talking about Jennifer's mother's Lexus. He tells her the working theory between him and the other detectives is that Bick was targeted because of her luxury automobile and because she was a tiny, weak-looking old Asian lady. Jennifer came alive at the mention of this theory, completely at ease with this line of questioning as if this was the avenue she wanted them to go down the whole time. This mood doesn't last, and she becomes agitated again when the police focus on her phone. Slade mentions that Edward Pacificador and Adrian Timkowitz are going to have to be interviewed because they were in the house and on the phone with her. Uh-oh. Jennifer seems shocked that the police wouldn't just simply take her word for it, and completely baffled by where this investigation was heading. Will I be informed of who, if anyone, is contacted on that? She inquires. Slade doesn't tell her a thing and would keep her in the dark from here on out. Okay, so I'm guessing she didn't think about them contacting her friends. No, she really didn't think about this too deeply at all, (laughs) to be honest. How old is she? Uh, 24. Yeah, you probably, her brain's not even technically fully developed. 24, you're too old for this kind of (laughs) bullshit. Yeah. With a fucking iPhone. Jennifer leaves the station at around 5 a.m. The brutal nature of the crime had detectives wondering if Han and Bick were mixed up in underground gambling or drugs. This line of investigation was immediately stifled, 
when it's determined that there had never been a more straight-laced couple of middle-class immigrants. There was no connection between these people and the underworld. Another thing to look at is the area. The city of Markham is about the safest place you can live. In fact, the entire York region, where Markham resides, there were only 14 home invasions where the criminals had intention to commit violence the previous year, 2009. Does this seem like a lot? Not a, not no. out of a million people, no. Out of a million? Yeah. Okay, I, I guess I didn't know the uh, the population here. Population of the York region is about a million. Markham is about a third of that. A I, third of that million. Every time you keep saying Markham, all I can think of, if they have like a Canadian version of Batman. Markham like maybe Asylum? it's like Beaver Man or something. <laughs> Markham Asylum. Yeah. I've been playing too much Arkham Knight. Do you love it, I, by the way? It's very good. It's only glitched out on me like twice. Okay, so, so it is still a little bugged up. Yeah, okay. some of the quests like will be completed but won't go to the story or whatever. Awful. But it's not too bad. You yeah. just restart it and you're good to go. Your, your fly <laughs> is a summer sandy. Mm-hmm. In cases like this where the public is screaming for answers, Canadian police forces pull together to form a Voltron of police known as a major case <laughs> management unit. All their horses come into this giant beast, <laughs> this giant horse. <laughs> horse Voltron. <laughs> yeah, all, it's got like four horses, his legs, and the horse body, and the horse head. Oh, that's terrifying. Please don't make that happen. <laughs> this comprises hundreds of officers and a command triangle is established with the three most experienced investigators running the show. Detective Slade claimed he remained impartial while interviewing Jennifer Pan, but the interview tapes, along with interviews he did with the local media, showed that he at least more than partially believed Jennifer. But as another investigator who chose to remain nameless in the book said, Sometimes believing someone in the initial stages of the investigation (laughs) is the ideal technique. (laughs) Getting people to talk is the best way. A lie told is better than nothing said. Because lies can be (laughs) disproven. When nothing is said, the investigation suffers. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's actually Count Dracula. Thank you, Dracula. He's working for the local paper at the time. That was Sherlock Holmes and Dracula. (laughs) I wish I had a pipe in my mouth while I was reading it. You would have sounded awesome. (laughs) The next morning, when the command triangle met again, new evidence had been discovered. There was $240 found in Bick's purse, $60 in Han's wallet, and $20 in Jennifer's purse, completely untouched. A little fishy. I'd agree with that. Why is she taking $240 with her to a dance class? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Like... I don't know. I, I usually, I mean, geez, 2010, did we have to use cash a lot more? I think we did. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. We didn't have cash apps and Venmos and pay, Paypals. But, like, how much is, it was uh, line dancing, you said? Mm-hmm. Like, how much does that actually cost? I feel like I they taught us that in for a PE class in high school. It's probably a rec center thing, <laughs> so it's probably like 20 bucks for a six-month course Probably or a something. bunch of old women in the pool learning line dancing. I was thinking about doing yeah. some uh, rec center yoga. Hey, nothing trying. wrong with that. But that just was don't before get in- corona. Just don't get involved with a cult or anything because... Yoga cult? Sometimes there's yoga cults. You gotta be careful. I'll, I'd be alright with a yoga <laughs> cult. Stretch me out. Five hours after her interview concluded, Jennifer was still awake, gathered with her family around her father's comatose body in the ICU at Toronto's Sunnybrook Hospital, one of Canada's foremost trauma centers. One of the bullets entered his face and traveled down, 
shattering his neck bone and lodging itself in his neck. The doctor explains that Han still has fragments in his face and the bullet missed his carotid artery by millimeter. It looks as if he was going to pull through. For some reason here, Jennifer asked if the bullet lodged in Han's neck could cause an infection, to which the doctor assured her it could not. Okay. I mean, how does he, how does a doc, how can he say that for certain? If you have a gaping wound, I feel like infection can happen at any time. Well, if you're in the hospital, they're going to be changing the dressing, applying salves to it, looking at it. I suppose. God, I don't, I just keep picturing your neck bone just exploding from a bullet. Yeah, like in in X-ray move in Mortal Kombat. (laughs) It just sucks. Oh, God. Jennifer then asked the room at large for 50 cents to go make a phone call since she said her phone was dead. But actually, it had been taken by the police, as we know. Jennifer. Her uncle offered to let her use his cell, but she basically screamed, No, I need 50 cents to go make a call. <laughs> I need all these disgusting bacteria on my face <laughs> right now. Oh, hospital payphone. <laughs> oh, Gross. I love the gum that's stuck in the little receiver. I'd ra- I think I'd rather even use the jail payphone <laughs> than, the, than a hospital payphone. <laughs> Obviously, because she knows the police are tracking and time-stamping cell phone usage. Little did she know, they could also track outgoing calls from payphones. Either way, her uncle handed her the 50 cents, and she goes in the hallway to call a number she knows by heart, that being her ex-boyfriend, Daniel Wong. Mm, Daniel, you're about to get in trouble. (laughs) This is what happens when you grow up watching Lethal Weapon and Die Hard movies. You think that you can just call discreetly from payphones. Yeah. Well, well work like the wire was well over by 2010. <laughs> yeah. Like, watch the fucking wire. Yeah. It's a great show. It is, absolutely. The next morning at the Major Case Management Mobile HQ parked on Helen Avenue, detectives received their first major break in the case. An anonymous informant walked up and knocked on the door. He told police that Jennifer's ex-boyfriend Daniel Wong was a known drug dealer. And Jennifer was still working as one of his couriers. Okay, so Daniel's not as good as we thought. Hmm. After a quick run through the police database, it was indeed discovered that Daniel had drug convictions in Toronto. Police wouldn't have to wait long to speak with him, as at 4 p.m., Daniel Wong walked into the police station of his own volition. Dressed in a black sweater and glasses with his hair unkempt, Daniel appeared and sounded as if he was fighting a head cold. Maybe drug withdrawal. Ooh. <laughs> so he kind of looks like Clark Kent after he just got back from fighting crime. If Clark Kent <laughs> was an Asian man and looked as if he had been playing StarCraft for like three days straight. He was a little dusty looking in the pictures. Hey, I mean, I would assume Clark Kent would play StarCraft. Why not? Yeah, when he's taking a break from writing, his Pulitzer winning. Yeah. Was that his dream or Lois's dream to win a Pulitzer? I, I would remember. assume Lois's. She's yeah. very dedicated to the paper. I think Superman kind of sucks to be God's oh, honest absolutely. with you. Yeah. It's all about Batman. Batman's the man. Mm. Detective Robert Milligan was running this interview and noticed that Daniel came across as relaxed, respectful, friendly, and willing to engage. So- the- it sounds like a Canadian drug dealer. Sure. <laughs> I mean, they just want more customers. Yeah. On the other hand, Jennifer could be described as closed off and defensive. Detective Milligan engaged in pleasantries, asking where Daniel went to school, and Daniel made sure to mention how he had risen through the ranks at Boston Pizza, becoming a manager from a lowly dishwasher. Didn't even know Boston Pizza was a thing. I guess in Canada they think it is. All right, what happened in New York, Chicago, I guess those are the two main ones, right? 
New York, Chicago. Chicago. Yeah, I, I don't think California. No, they have a restaurant called the yeah. California Pizza Kitchen. I mean, maybe they go into a grocery store, see that in the frozen food section, and assume <laughs> it's a gourmet dinner from California. Gosh, why can't I think? I mean, like, obviously Sicilian pizza is a thing. I mean, we have soda style, but that's, that's literally... That's New York, right? A soda style? Pizza? No, that's Minnesota. Oh. Where it's like the fl- thin crust in squares. Oh, get out of here. That's, That's soda style. Well, whatever. <laughs> I enjoy a thin crust pizza chopped into squares, but I don't know <laughs> if Minnesota invented that. <laughs> when the conversation finally shifts to Daniel's personal life, Milligan lets Daniel tell him the extent of his relationship and sees if he'll lie about it. He didn't. <laughs> I'm actually her ex. We had a relationship at the end of high school, and it ended about two years ago. <laughs> 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 All right. He's I think a classy boy. You're going to have to talk like him again, so That's remember fine. that. That's fine. <clears throat> Within the first three minutes, Daniel dropped a bombshell all over the police's working <laughs> theories. Jennifer's quote-unquote routine life that she was trying so hard to portray to Detective Slade was anything but routine. He tells Milligan that they were a couple for seven years, all of them behind her parents' back. Since Jennifer came from a strict Asian household... She wasn't allowed to date. Her parents forced her into a life that would make dating impossible. Figure skating in the morning before school, piano lessons immediately after school, and then another figure skating session in the evening. I guess that would technically drive anybody insane if I'm being honest with you. And that was all through fucking high school. I just wanted to smoke cigarettes. Yeah. And do stupid shit. I didn't want... uh, skate and play piano i mean i guess technically it would be smarter if i did but yeah if you were funneled into mm. but not this funneled no. not like no overbearingly funneled mm. i mean i guess technically they just want the best for her but well that's not a good thing though no. that's still abuse <laughs> yeah. daniel informs milligan that jennifer even went as far as to create an entire separate existence for herself one in which her parents believed that she was a pharmacist and attending college in toronto Yet all the while, she was working as a waitress at Eastside Mario's and then Boston Pizza alongside Daniel. Okay. you Okay. I guess they have Italian food, but for some reason they still think Boston Pizza's good. Now that I keep hearing the word Boston Pizza, I think they might have a pizza that they're proud of. A style of pizza that they're proud of. Okay. Well, I don't know. I'm don't sure know. we have fans in in Boston. In the please new send in, us in a the message. In the greater New England area. Yeah, please send us, us a message, especially you, Tom Brady. But don't be mean about it. No. Just no, no. be nice. I mean, you can call us a bastard. Yeah. And then or a wicked us. pisser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Three days a week, Jennifer slept at Daniel's family home, located in Ajax, a suburb east of Toronto. Her parents naturally had no idea. After all, she told them she was staying with her best friend Topaz in Toronto so she could be closer to college on days when she had class. Mm. Now, the truth of the matter is, she right. her education ended at high school. That was it. She never went to college. So and, she's crafted this whole lie. And she's 24 now. So she's been doing this for like seven years. And her best friend is a, a, a gem. That may be <laughs> one of the names that was changed to protect the identity. <laughs> oh. 
There oh. was. It did say at the beginning of the book that a few names were changed to protect identity. I thought maybe Topaz was one. I just assumed she had a giant yellow gem she would carry around and talk to. I assumed she was a stripper. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it sounds fucked up, but it does sound like the type of, uh, uh, what would you call it, I guess, uh... It seems like a survive by any means. To, like I, like she wanted to have a personal life so bad, but she couldn't stand up yeah, to her parents. That's or what something. I mean. It sounds like the uh, right type of um, thing that someone would do when their whole life has been controlled this yeah. much by their parents, where they have to lie to just live a normal life. Eventually, that's going to make you tired, and you're going to yeah. want a much easier, more streamlined life. Yeah, like you see. Us on the podcast make it appear like we're not depressed boys, but we actually are. So. Absolutely. We're doing the same thing Jennifer's doing. That's right. We're going <laughs> to plan to kill our parents. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, you can't spoil the episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whoopsie. He claims they discuss marriage, but Daniel could never get serious about it. They had been dating for seven years, and he had never even met her family. Once Han and Bick knew about the relationship, they strongly objected. Even after Jennifer tried to endear him to her family by telling them he graduated university with an engineering degree, which he did. Mm. So he's he, making, he is successful. Oh, yeah. He's just making bank and mm. loves his job at Boston Pizza. So <laughs> fuck it. He's got the engineering degree to fall back on. Right. right. When he gets sick of Boston Pizza. <laughs> According to Daniel, they were planning on staying together, but things came to an actual head between Jennifer and her parents. They said, choose him or choose us. When she chose them and moved in full-time with them, Daniel said it was like intake at a prison. Bick and Han took her laptop, cell phone, money, forced her to quit all her jobs, and wouldn't let her leave the house without them. Jesus. This spelled the end of the couple's relationship, and in April 2009, Daniel moved on and pursued romantic interests with less baggage. Daniel also brings to light expensive renovations that Han and Bick had done, Apparently paying a contractor $30,000 in cash. Jesus. That's that a could, lot of Canadian dollars right there. That could be another reason. <laughs> As you know, if you're mm. able to fork over 30k cash, who says that that contractor doesn't tell his brother-in-law Jim Bob who likes to break into houses about it. That's a good point actually. Man, poor Jennifer though. I mean, I kind of feel bad. This sounds horrible yeah both. nobody should be restrained that much jesus and she hasn't even really done anything wrong i mean we don't think she's kind of a lazy yeah. piece of shit but okay yeah. well her parents forced her to quit her job right that's true but yes but i mean even before that she has a history we'll get into okay her. okay all right now the obvious questions come up daniel's criminal past it was true, Daniel said. At one point in his life, he did sell a little weed and had two run-ins with Toronto PD. Mm. One time, he was pulled over with a pound of marijuana in his truck. <laughs> it's that it's street valued sixteen hundred to twenty four hundred. It's not that much. I mean, I don't know if I'd call that a little weed, though. That's true. I mean, that's <laughs> not, maybe not personal yeah. <laughs> personal use. And his other run-in was when his friend borrowed his car. Well, he had weed in it, and since it was his car. He was rung up on the possession charge. Oh, they they actually believe that in Canada. The possession is nine yeah. tenths. Back when back when cops was on or like whatever show, every single person with drugs said it's not mine. It's my my friends. I borrowed my friend's pants. I borrowed my friend's car. I, I think Wong Wong's a bit of a stand up guy, 
and okay. kind of came forward and was like, hey, that's my car. Those were my drugs kind of mm. thing. I oh, oh, okay. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Very Just Canadian to, of him. Definitely. Well, I would do that for anybody if it was my car and it was <laughs> my drugs. Otherwise, I'm just a fucking dickhead. <laughs> that's like, hey, go to jail for my drugs. I can't say many people in America would probably do that. Probably. Same thing. And I'm also not addicted to drugs, so mm. that could also be another. <laughs> that would do it. Yeah. From here, he says he retired from drugs. He didn't want to lose his hair from all the stress. <laughs> While on the topic of drugs, Milligan brings up the information brought to the mobile HQ by the informant. Daniel stresses that in no way ever was Jennifer a courier for his pot dealing. But this is when Daniel also drops the bombshell of the second phone. That's right. Oh. A second phone. Daniel says she kept an iPhone hidden for her private life. And the Samsung that the police had was owned, controlled, and went through at will by her parents. You sneaky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I don't trust people who have two phones personally, but No, that just automatically <laughs> I say that's a drug dealer. Yeah. That person has two phones. You're yeah. a drug dealer. Uh, uh the old manager Fong. had two. I'll, of I'll them. dox him. Fong. <laughs> he always had two phones and it was I don't know. I didn't trust him. Well, that's because he was stealing. He was robbing Peter to pay Paul. He was he stealing was. equipment from Walzer to use at his <laughs> other shop. Detail genie. I did hear he is out of business. Rest in peace. No shit. Yeah. No so. shit. He's not a businessman. <laughs> Locked and loaded with new information, Detective Slade was ready for his next interview with Jennifer. As soon as Slade opened the door, Jennifer knew something was up, and her legs started to quake uncontrollably. I bet... She opened that box of Tim Hortons donuts. Oh, none in there. That you fucking Slade. asshole, Slade. Gotcha. Have an empty box of donuts, yeah. bitch. <laughs> right off the bat, Jennifer is forced to admit that her education ended after high school. Further, Slade informs her that there are several more parts of her sworn statement that need some clarification. Mm. He forces her from the top to go over her story again in detail. Once again, this is a. Tried and true detective method. Go over your story, look for inconsistencies. Right. This time she slips up by saying that her mother, who would never, ever, ever, ever call up the stairs in English unless something was terribly wrong, actually called up the stairs in Vietnamese this time. Then she stated she saw number one coming at her with his gun pointed at her. First, it was a string. Second, he was showing it in his holster. Okay, yep, right. When Slade pointed out these differences so early in the story... Jennifer went into her mantra once again. I don't want to. I don't want to say. Any, I don't want to say something wrong. She started rubbing her legs together loud enough for the microphones to pick it up. <laughs> Worked up into a fluster, Jennifer blurts out a name she never wanted involved at all: Andrew Montemayor. She claimed he wanted to meet up with her before the murder, but of course she had to decline as she wasn't allowed to leave the house. These motherfuckers just come through the woodwork at this point. All these dudes are yeah. just coming out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Jennifer's jaw hit the fucking table when Slade brought up her hidden iPhone. She stuttered out that her quote-unquote-unquote friend, Daniel, had given it to her and he was paying the note on it. When asked where it was now, she seemed flustered, saying that, gee, she didn't really know. Last time she remembered having it was a week ago in a jacket pocket. Mm. She had to keep moving the hiding spot to avoid detection from her parents. Mm, okay. It's like, you're, you are still lying, you idiot. <laughs> Slade kept drilling, and Jennifer kept spiraling. His next tactic was to demand she stand up and show him exactly how she was able to dial 911 on her cell phone with her hands tied behind her back. She acted shocked, 
put her hand over her chest and raised her top lip in a shock snarl. Surprisingly, she was able to contort her body in a way to actually make her story plausible so long as she had the phone on speaker. Why didn't she just say it was Siri? Ooh, that's a... Oh, because she had Samsung. And I don't think they had OK Google back in... I actually don't even think they had wait. Siri in 2010. <laughs> I know, they probably didn't. But, wait, how does she have a Samsung and an iPhone? Or Cody, she has both... What? The two phones, that's the thing. Police took her Samsung that was controlled... But she has a separate iPhone. Oh, I see. But she her secret one's an iPhone, but she wants to purchase, allegedly, another iPhone. That's where she had that $2,000 and then $2,500 gotcha. later. Okay, right. Okay, I'm balling, you know. Gotcha. This is when Slade goes hard, mm. which many detectives watching along thought he should have done much earlier. He calls her out for lying directly to his face, and her body language switched like a flip to closed off and frightened. Her legs were shaking so hard, they were vibrating her entire torso. <laughs> She doesn't answer, only says that she's saying everything that she remembers. <laughs> Slade moves on to her past, and there's another shift in body language. It looks almost as though she's a patient in a therapist's office with her legs stretched out and her eyes closed. She becomes calm, relaxed. Jennifer explains to him how her life was when she moved back in with her parents full-time. It consisted of waking up, playing piano, doing the chores, teaching piano, and returning directly home. The only time she had left her house to engage in social activity was on her birthday three months previous, when her best friend Topaz went ice skating to relive their high school days. Even then, Han and Bick demanded Topaz's cell phone number and checked in every 15 minutes and forced her to be home by 9 p.m. How the hell does a gemstone call dial the number here? <laughs> I just keep picturing this yellow thing just skating around. around. Well, just skating around the arena. Doesn't even need skates. It's just, just carving up the ice. I love it. <laughs> it's like Nancy Kerrigan doing triple axles there. <laughs> She's not the one that got her leg broken? Was that Tara Lipinski? No. No, Nancy Kerrigan's the one who got her deep. Right. Wait, is she? I can't remember. I don't know. Do, uh, the Chinese woman, was that Nancy Kerrigan? I can't remember now either. She was like, no, I'm thinking of Ta or Yamaguchi. Yeah, Christy Yamaguchi. Yeah, she's the one who won like a shitload yeah. of gold medals, right? But I think that was separate from the Tanya Harding and... Tanya Harding. She's not the one, she's like the the white trash one who beat her knees. That's right. Or hired goons to beat that one's knees. Take a tire iron yeah. to her, yeah. Yikes. Good crime and uh, crime and sports. Definitely that is recommend uh, listening to it. I like those guys. I don't <laughs> even care how, how much gatekeepers they are. <laughs> They're still going on about that comedy and true crime thing, man. Stop it. Dude, the uh, the new Jack new Jack one they released last week was... Oh, they wow. did new Jack, the wrestler? Yes. Oh, my God. Did they do wow. the blade job? The, the mass transit incident where he bladed that kid that yep. wasn't even... Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Have you seen that video? Uh, Look up the mass transit incident. It's gruesome. Really? He fucking saws his head open. It's not good. <sighs> like God. the kid, and the kid was like, I've never bladed. Can you help me, New yep. Jack? And he was like, Yeah, I got you. No problem. And just saws into his scalp. Yep. It's not great. Yep. yep. It's, uh, yeah, they talked about that. God, that guy is. I would say that guy is literally fucking insane. That guy's trash. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's trash. He's a trash <laughs> human. He is. Keep in mind that the birthday that her and Topaz were going to celebrate by ice skating was her 24th birthday. Can you imagine being treated this way at 24? Absolutely not. Slade bails from the room again at this point, 
to try and stir her up. She hates being left alone. And he felt she was getting too comfortable talking about her past. According to the book, the next 30 minutes of the tape are like watching a train wreck. She farted a bunch. And finally, a female officer cleared the hallway <laughs> so she could be taken to the bathroom for a poop. <laughs> Hell yeah, Jennifer. When she returns, she paces back and forth incredibly quickly, repeating, I'm just beating myself up. 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 It almost looks like she's a meth head. Mm. She's pacing so fast, she's practically running. She can't deal with the stress, and she hasn't eaten in at least 18 hours. Okay, that would drive you a little crazy. Even still, with the nerves and the rumbling in the tumbly, she couldn't eat even if she wanted to, she said. Eventually, the female officer that took her to go poop forces her to sit down and stop pacing, so she does, and curls into a fetal position, which would become another one of her trademarks as this trial develops over the coming years. When Slade returned, his question was over. This four-hour interview had been illuminating, but like fishing, he had to put her back out there and see how much her story would change by tomorrow. <laughs> Jennifer's behavior in the interview room was bizarre, and there was the nagging issue of why the robbers spared her. She wasn't even bruised or sexually assaulted. How could these three grown robbers be so inept? They barely stole anything, and they had no tools that a typical home invader would carry. Not to mention, there was a safe in the parents' room, in the closet, which was open and ripped apart, that had never even been attempted to open. Okay. I mean, if we're being fair here, there is plenty of robbers who are not that intelligent. But a three-man crew, <clears throat> mm -hmm. you'd think they would at least be able to fumble their way through a successful robbery. Yeah. Without leaving money so. in the purses, money right. in the wallets. right. That's why they were quote unquote there was for the cash. So well, especially I I don't know for certain, but it seems like ones that are willing to murder are definitely gonna rob the shit out of you. Yeah, like if they're just robbing you, maybe they're not experienced. But if they're willing to kill people, no witnesses to rob. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, they will rob the fuck out of you. They're gonna pick your home yeah. apart. Yeah, they're gonna pick apart the floorboards looking I for mean, anything you got stashed away. They're gonna away. spend life in prison for killing. Exactly. Like, why would they be afraid of stealing your fuck shit it. too? That's yeah. like two life sentences at the same time: <laughs> yeah. armed home invasion and and murder. On November twelfth, thank the good Lord above, Han woke up from his coma. Unfortunately, he had bullet fragments in his Ugh. face, and that bullet was still lodged in his neck that was causing him excruciating pain. Jennifer was not allowed to be in the same room as her father without police escort. It's during these festivities surrounding Han's awakening that Jennifer's mental health issues come to light. It seems she wasn't grieving over her mother, nor was she overly jubilant when her father came back to life. She was too concerned with what the media was writing about her. She was self-absorbed, repeatedly putting herself first, suffering mental anguish over her own reputation rather than focusing on the horror that her family endured. If, if, I just want to ask you something. If we feel that her parents, I don't know which one specifically was treating her kind of uh, bad, controlling her like that. If you were being controlled like that, I, would you have that much sympathy for them? Like, you probably have a lot of internal hatred. Like, I assume Jennifer has a lot of internal... I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. I'm I just saying that she probably has a lot of hatred inside of her. Definitely. Regardless of what we're speculating at this point probably happened. I mean, you're good. Um, yeah, yeah. She's, she thinks of her parents more as jailers, probably, yeah. than she does. I, someone in her shoes, 
who didn't murder their parents, I'm pretty sure they would feel the same. I like, think so. Yeah. Like they, you know, you kind of grow to hate people who do that to you. That's, you know. I mean, it is abuse. No matter how much of a piece of shit she is. Yeah. It's absolutely. Abuse. Absolutely. It's just. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't instantly assume she has sympathy because she necessarily wasn't being treated great which doesn't make it okay for murder or anything but your paternal you know what I'm saying? your when your paternal relatives die tragically i assume you'd be sad about it regardless if they're even, mean to you or not yeah especially if you didn't have anything to do with it you're still going to be sad that your parents are suddenly ripped away from you not Eileen Warnos wasn't. No, she was not. No, she, <laughs> she was goes, not. I'm glad that bastard's dead. <laughs> but she went out screaming about how there was computers in her mirror. So. True, true. Han barely had time to both count his blessings at being alive and grieve over his wife before the police swooped down to start their questioning. Jennifer's mysterious payphone call is the first thing they fill Han in on, and he immediately asks if it was Danny that she called. When asked to expand on that, he gives the name Daniel Wong. Then they asked him, who it was that did it? Two blacks and a white broke into his home, he responded. Not my words, his words. They were tall, each around six feet, and wearing turtlenecks that were covered in bl- brown splotches all over. I don't know if robbers wear turtlenecks. This is in Great Britain. Come on. No kidding. And <laughs> you're going to get sweaty in that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. He revealed to the officers that while he and his wife were tied up, terrified, and pulled around the house, Jennifer was able to wander freely about the house. When the cops finally decided to let Han rest for a while, he specifically told his family to not let Jennifer anywhere near him, police escort or not, he didn't want anything to do with her. But she was able to get in without a police escort. Like, you have one job, cops. Make sure you watch the person of interest in this case. Where did these, the police from fucking Kill Bill? (laughs) That's all I kept thinking. Like when the girl literally puts on like a generic sexy nurse outfit, has this giant syringe going in to kill her. With an eye patch with a fucking cross on, like a red cross on it. Get out of here. Might be a little suspicious. I'm sure there's eye patch nurses out there, but. uh, Not ones dressed like strippers. (laughs) Like nurse strippers. Probably not. Han didn't outright accuse his daughter, but he wasn't warm with her either. At the end of their short conversation, the father asks if Danny was involved in some way to get her back, like a Romeo and Juliet thing. Mm. After that, she did something absolutely ballsy. She asked her father for $1,200, claiming it was for college tuition. Jennifer. You know what's fun? Can you imagine... Being so angry. You just got shot. Your neck is in pain. You wake up. The first thing you ask is, is it my daughter's fucking boyfriend? Mm. Like, you know you've got a lot of hatred for Danny if you're on death's bed and you wake up and ask about him. Oh, <laughs> gosh. And uh, I can understand where the hatred comes from. When, when you still have a fucking bullet in your neck, <laughs> yeah. your daughter asks for $1,200 yeah. to go to non-existent college. Okay. She's kind of like a hybrid between Casey Anthony and Jody Aries. Jody Aries. Aries. Yeah. You know now I now? know. Yeah, now yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking handstand girl. Dude, this actually, that's a good point about Casey mm. Anthony. Mm-hmm. Like when they walked her through Disney or mm-hmm. Universal Studios. And she, she made up like, this separate life for herself. Oh, uh, this is pretty mm. fucking spot on. Good, good fucking shout, kiddo. That day. Jennifer is officially named as a suspect. Her family began to grow incredibly distant, but since she was blood, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place. She had nowhere else to go, 
So until they could be certain that she had something to do with it, they couldn't let her be homeless and starving. Jennifer once again shows how much of a self-centered piece of shit she is by pretending to cry at her mother's funeral four days later. According to police, who attended not only to gauge Jennifer's reactions, but also to pay their respects, they noticed she kept pretending to cry. Then she would look up at the police to make sure they noticed her. Then she would immediately go into an overdramatic weeping fit. Jennifer was also heard complaining that although her father was medically cleared to attend the funeral, he chose to not pay respects to his dead wife. Huh. Interesting. Okay. On November 17th, bullet fragments were removed from Han's face and sent out of the lab and sent out to the lab for criminal analysis at Canada's Center for Forensic Sciences in Toronto. November 22nd, Jennifer receives a call from a victim services liaison that she has to return to the police station for more questioning. She tries to resist and claims that she's too busy grieving with her family to go answer more questions, but this wasn't a suggestion. <laughs> the police sent a cab for her on November 22nd Wow! at 2 p.m. Okay, I don't think the cops here would send you a cab. <laughs> get in the, we got a cab coming to pick you up. We got an Uber headed your way. Just go ahead and get in there and come on down. I think it's more or less to make her feel a little bit more at ease mm. to not have uniformed officers come get her because she's still they not arrested yet. Or they want to make her comfortable. She walks in the interrogation room, sees all. They flick the lights on. All the horses are surrounding her. Oh, she gets Voltron terrified. Horse. Yeah. Can you imagine if Voltron horse talks like a robot, too? Oh, that would be the best. (laughs) Even though Voltron didn't actually talk, just all the pilots did. (laughs) Already, she knows this interview is going to go different from her last one. Her nervous tics were amplified tenfold. She was still angling for the concerned little girl defense, but now she had another wrench in her toolbox. She could play the somber, lonely figure who lost her mother and whose family is out to get her. She would often and repeatedly descend into one of her textbook fetal positions. Hmm. No longer being interviewed by homicide. <laughs> <laughs> no longer being interviewed by homicide detective Slade. She was now in the hands of detective Bill Gates. Whoa! That's right. Not the real Bill Gates. The mark of the Beast Boy here. Five <laughs> G himself. A seasoned interrogator and polygraph specialist. He calls himself the Truth Verification Expert. And, yeah, it's fucking dumb. Yikes. Okay, I like it. Fucking piece of shit. I don't (laughs) like you either, Bill Gates. And he wouldn't be here to treat her with kid gloves the way Detective Slade chose to. Also nicknamed Gator, which is pretty fucking Mm. Canadian. You just take off the S and put an R on there, and you got Gator. Okay, I was going to say, I don't think they have alligators there. (laughs) (laughs) He was considered cold and calculating, even amongst his little cop buddies. Gator's tactics are wild. He plays both good cop and bad cop, able to turn on a dime and get those being interrogated, feeling cornered and comfortable at the same time. I just feel like Gator is probably the type of guy who thinks that foreplay is a waste of time. Dive right in? <laughs> yeah. You don't need to GFK lube up. GFK style. Yeah, yeah. I'm in there. In there like swimwear. Straight away, he reads her her rights. She begins to shake with fear and shock. Anything you say... Nope. Nope. This is a, this is a gator. It's <laughs> gator. Anything you say to us regarding that home invasion is being recorded and could be used against you in court. Do you understand? She nods, and he forces her to repeat herself in a loud, clear tone. Every time her mother is brought up, she goes into a dry-eyed sobbing fit, 
Instead of comforting her, Gator waits until she's calmed down a little bit before harshly telling her to speak up. Mm. This wasn't going fast enough for Gator's liking, so he switched tactics. Instead of being cold to her and barely looking at her, he 180s and focuses on her completely, giving her undivided eye contact, leaning forward and smiling when she talked. And that's hard for a gator. Oh, yeah. Because their eyes are on the side of their Well, what head. is it? Crocodile smiles? <laughs> no, crocodile tears. That's what it uh, is. Ah, yeah. What's crocodile smiles? Nothing. I, I'm assuming that means you're dead, probably. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Jennifer became extremely comfortable with Gates and started opening up. All the while, he's sitting there with a crooked grin, collecting everything he's going to need to secure a confession. Switching right back, Gates starts picking her story apart in minute detail. How long had you had that supposed 2500 in your nightstand? How thick was the stick? What denominations were the bills in? Wait, Canada doesn't literally just have a $2,500 bill? Not yet, but it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to have Prince Philip on it. It's got them goddamn maple syrup foil edges on it. That's what it means. It's a $2,500 bill. Sticky ass paper. It's like like the sugar glass (laughs) on the edge of the bills. Don't let it get hot out or your wallet's a mess. No, it's got to be refrigerated all parts of the day. You just keep it on a cookie sheet. (laughs) Then he uses her very own ultimate weapon of deceit against her. You see, Jennifer... In cases like this, we have to reach out to modern technology. So another thing we utilize is satellites. The satellites is a 24-7 video that's going on. It's recording information. The military uses it for precision bombing. (laughs) We were able to go back and review that. It's like an x-ray. We're able to tell our people in the positions that the witness is telling us they were they were in or are they different another thing we do is talk to everybody we leave no stern untoned <laughs> <laughs> i believe it <laughs> when you get a case like this people want to help ever heard of crime stoppers <laughs> people turn on their friends to get a reward to get the reward money <laughs> So wow, okay. He's got, he's got her thinking that yeah. satellite x-ray footage is... <laughs> I guess he's using the Eileen Wernos interrogation technique here. You can you, lie to him. It's a commonly you, held misconception that you can't, as a police, you can't lie to him. But you can lie to him. Even in Canada? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. You want this horse to stomp your head? You better start talking. (laughs) I don't know if you could threaten him. (laughs) You just have the horse in the corner kicking his feet. (laughs) That would be fine. Yeah. (laughs) But no no verbal threat. You just have the horse stomp grapefruits. That's going to be your fucking head if you don't start talking. (laughs) Jennifer remains silent and plays with her braid nervously, twisting the end of it around her index finger. His speech is ramping up and he's edging ever and ever close to her on his wheeled office chair. Just before the three-hour mark, after 45 minutes of Gates going on and on and on, in a barely audible voice, she squeaked out four little words. What happens to me? Stay Uh tuned for part two. Jennifer, 
I think Gator's cracking the case here. I think Gates is, uh, he's on his way. Yeah, I, you know what? I know Gator's maybe not the most liked man around, but, uh. And he calls himself the done. truth validation expert, and he's a piece of shit, yeah. and I hate that. And yeah, I that's just, cringy. I just kind of don't like cops in general, yeah. so it's like, well, it's I mean, yeah, that's pretty well known on a, a podcast. I but, think so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Did, did you say he named himself Gator? No, 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 no. Gator is like his uh, nickname from cops. And it's just <clears throat> easy. Yeah. Because it's okay. Gates. And then you take off the S and put R and it's Gator. And that's what Canada does. And that's what hockey players do. You know what would have been much cooler he could have done is he has like a little button somewhere on his body. Every time he walks into a room, he pushes it and it's the window starting up sound. Oh, that way. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, I did the Dell one or something. <laughs> uh, also, if you were a Canadian, they would call you Wanger. Ah, okay. Mm. I mean, kind of inappropriate, but I like a it. A little bit. Yeah. They didn't really have one for me, so they had to call me A-bomb. <laughs> well, hey, I like that too. Or A-paw. A-paw. We, a, A-paw. We, we all call you that. Mm-hmm. Old Uncle A-paw. Well, mm. guys, stay tuned for part two. Hell get yeah. To the end. Remember all. I want you all to remember this. A Daughter's Deadly Deception, the Jennifer Pan story by Jeremy Grimaldi. Look it up. It's a fucking great, fun read. It's really good, really informative, really covers all the bases. It's a good time. I mean, we. I think we have a basic idea of what probably happened, but we don't. I have a feeling there's a lot of antics that are about to transpire in part two. We're going to see how Canada's yeah. legal system handles <laughs> handles what's what happened. Yeah. All right. Well, shit. If you like this part one, you can email us about it at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's it, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod, Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. We did receive a fucking wonderful email. Did you see we that? We did. I did read it. It's I'm not awesome. gonna. I'm not gonna read it out loud. Mm. She said she did have. Uh, she liked to remain private. So yeah. this is probably embarrassing the hell out of her right now. <laughs> and that's. Kinda... I will say you did. Uh, when I was reading through it, you did inspire me to make a purchase. So I did. No, she did. Oh, she did. She did. Yes. I'll tell you off the air. All right. Tell it. me off, Mike. Perfect. So thank you for that email. It's wonderful. Also, uh, now it's time for the most important part of the show. Lisa asked Cody the iTunes reviews. Hell yeah. And it looks like we had, I think I can't remember from last week, but I think we got two new. It looks like two, star. maybe even three. Maybe even three. I mm. can't remember, but we, we can tell two of them or one of them is non written five star. One of them is a written five star. So you know we'll I love them. Absolutely. I think the name is Anime XT. Okay. I think that's what it okay. is. It says part of the hive with three E's. So you definitely welcome. Are. Uh, it says love you guys. Amazing work. Exclamation point. And I think the square means they tried to put an emoji in there, but I could be wrong. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think <laughs> that means unrecognized character. Maybe it's a middle finger. Maybe it's a smiley face. We don't know. I'm going to assume smiley. <laughs> okay. Based yeah. on the five stars and the other nice things. Absolutely. So thank you for taking Oh, that the, was the whole review? That was all. Thank review. you very much. Short You've and done sweet. It. Right I actually, to the point. I like those because then there's no chance of me fucking up reading it. So yeah, that's but that's great. the funniest part. <laughs> I that's know where we is. get some of our most giggles from. I, I know. it's People love my uh, stupidity here. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> thank you very much to everybody writing reviews. Keep that up. Keep it up. Hell and yeah. steal your friends' phones and do it on their phones, too. Please do. Stiglitz style. That's what we call that. Yeah, we call that Stiglitz style. <laughs> Oops, I'm like eight years too late. Uh, okay, so fuck. 
also we got a Patreon. That's patreon.com slash bumblebutt podcast. Go sign up at any level. Cody just mailed out the prints for Absolutely. I saw a few people got them. The cotton prints. Fantastic. Yeah. Episode one. Yeah, we boo probably I don't know if I should do them in order, if I should just do our favorite ones. I think we should do a highlighted version. Yeah. yeah Maybe yeah. our top ten downloads or something. Yeah. Well, I'd say our personal favorites, because those are probably the fans' personal ones too. That's a good I point. I would assume That's I don't a good know. Point. So. If we think they're funny, they gotta be funny. Cotton is a classic. If you haven't listened, that is the introductory nervous Cody and What's Adam up, episode. sluts? Yeah. That's how it starts, I think. Yeah. Well. And uh I'm pretty sure we're gonna be dropping a new audio uh Patreon here. So. Oh my gosh, we are yeah. gonna be recording With a new Patreon episode right now. The uh Mothman is getting sexy this time. And yeah. I I I promise you this time there is actually a little bit of a story attached to it. Mm-hmm. It's not as bad. They're it's not, not as bad our as... Our fans aren't going to be able to just jerk off to our voices. I mean, part two of that will be more jerking off, ah. but part one, we're going to... There's a little bit of what we call character development. Oh, wow. And Not just you know, homeless guys no, giving no, blowjobs no, on the corner? No, you, we might actually like to... Might learn to like these characters, actually, not just... Well, don't tease me. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Mothman's a gentleman, so... Sign up at any level Please. to listen to our Sasquatch episodes, and now two more Mothman episodes Hell coming yes. out this One, month. Yeah, $1 or higher. $1 listen or higher. It's fan- if you don't laugh at this stuff, then I, I don't know. If you don't I laugh don't at this stuff, then there's something wrong with you. You and might as well be Jennifer... I can't remember her last name. Aniston. Aniston. <laughs> I don't know. We have nipple girl. Oh, from Jennifer Friends. Pan. I call her nipple girl from Friends. That's what I call her. <laughs> they did love putting her nipples on screen. <laughs> they did through shirts. All right, uh, that's going to do it for all of us here at Bumblebutt Podcast. Jordan was here for about twenty-one minutes, so that was nice. <laughs> Record time. <laughs> uh, that's been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. I've been Adam. Thank you very much to everybody for listening. Have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. <laughs> I wish Jordan was here to say something. Yeah, no shit. Oh, well.